Rico Report is a weekly public affairs program providing independent media coverage of environmental and ecological studies with a focus on local, state, and regional people, issues, and events in order to foster open discussion of human relationships with nature and the earth and to encourage you to take personal responsibility for living sustainably in the world. EcoReport is produced by an independent team of volunteers working at the studios of Community Radio WFHB in Bloomington, Indiana and financially supported by listeners like you. Hello and welcome to EcoReport. For WFHB, I'm Patrick Callanan. And I'm Sarah Callanan. And for our feature today, we will hear WFHB reporter Katrine Bruner talk about a federal lawsuit against Indianapolis Power and Light Company. This is part one of a two-part story. That's coming up later in the program. But first, your environmental headlines. According to the EPA and the U.S. Government Accountability Office, Two Bloomington Superfund sites, Bennett Stone Quarry and Neal's Landfill, are vulnerable to flooding from climate change. Both sites are contaminated with PCBs and other dangerous chemicals that the Westinghouse Electric Corporation dumped there years ago. Flooding of the sites would most likely release the hazardous waste into the environment, despite the fact that both sites have caps. The Superfund program was created in 1980 in response to health problems that residents experienced after their neighborhood and school were built on top of Love Canal, a toxic waste dump in Niagara Falls, New York. Today, the Superfund program includes over 1,700 extremely hazardous sites on what the EPA calls its National Priorities List. In November 2013, President Obama issued an executive order on climate change that led senior EPA staff to begin finalizing plans to address Superfund sites' vulnerabilities to climate-related disasters. One of President Trump's earliest official acts was to issue an executive order that repealed Obama's climate change mandate. Under the Trump administration, the EPA's national policy across all its programs, including the Superfund program, omits all references to climate change. The result is that remediation plans for Superfund sites don't take into account threats related to the climate crisis. On a 200-acre tract of farmland in northeast St. Joseph County, Fort Wayne-based Indiana-Michigan Power is installing a solar farm which it says will be capable of producing 22,000 kilowatts of clean energy. The $37 million project will be the utility's largest solar project. Its 57,000 photovoltaic panels will be able to generate enough energy to power nearly 3,000 homes. The project has already attracted business from the University of Notre Dame. The school announced it will purchase 40% of the total output from the facility in the form of clean energy credits. Notre Dame said those credits will be equal to 10% of the university's total demand for electricity, helping Notre Dame meet its goals toward clean renewable energy. Quote, This is a big step for us with regard to the use of clean renewable solar energy to aid or offset campus power production. 
and a piece of a larger puzzle in terms of our overall approach to sustainability, end quote, said Paul Kempf, Assistant Vice President for Utilities and Maintenance at Notre Dame. BBC News has reported that thousands of migratory birds have recently been found dead in New Mexico, causing alarm among biologists. New Mexico State University professor Martha Desmond explained that the mass die-off is a mystery but could be related to smoke from wildfires or the recent cold weather. She also estimated the number of bird deaths to possibly be in the millions. Quote, it's devastating. I don't think I've ever seen anything this horrible in my life, end quote, Desmond said. Some birds, including migratory warblers, swallows, and bluebirds, were seen acting oddly before their deaths. Smoke from wildfires is thought to have affected the birds or forced them to change migratory routes. Recent snows in Colorado could also be responsible, Desmond said, adding that more will not be known until the animal's carcasses can be studied. America's largest national forest, Tongass National Forest in Alaska, will be opened up to logging and road construction after the Trump administration finalizes its plans to open up the forest, according to the New York Times. The plans to open the forest to logging have been in the works for years. In March, the Trump administration faced a setback when a federal judge halted plans to open 1.8 million acres to logging and road building because the administration had failed to evaluate the environmental impact fully, as WFHB reported at the time. The acres that the administration wants to open up now have been protected by the Roadless Area Conservation Rule, or Roadless Rule, which prohibits construction in nationally protected wild areas, according to The Guardian. The U.S. Forest Service is expected to release a full environmental impact statement later in a few days, saying that lifting the rule will not damage the 17 million acre temperate rainforest in southeast Alaska. The administration will consequently revoke the roadless rule and move forward with plans to lease the land for logging. Many animal lovers have followed the debate over performing circus animals for years. Is it ethical to make tigers jump through rings of fire? How about to have elephants dance in a conga line? Or monkeys ride a bike? Still, it was a big deal when America's biggest, longest-running circus took elephants out of its shows. After years of reports of poor care and abuse, and an audience increasingly uncomfortable with the idea of animals as sophisticated and intelligent as elephants living the lives of itinerant performers, Ringling Brothers and Barnum and Bailey Circus made a big decision four years ago. The circus retired its elephants. Since 2016, they've been living at Ringling's Center for Elephant Conservation in Florida. The move was definitely an improvement from their lives as performers, but animal advocates noted the limited space and continued use of foot chains. Next year, these elephants are moving on to an even better life. White Oak Conservation in Florida has broken ground on a new four-square-mile elephant habitat, complete with grasslands, wetlands, forest, and 11 watering holes big enough for them to bathe in. White Oak is 30 miles north of Jacksonville, Florida. Having lived their whole lives in captivity, these elephants could never be released into the wild, 
But this new habitat will be, quote, some of the best captive welfare that you can have, end quote, said Ed Stewart, the co-founder of the Performing Animal Welfare Society. White Oak bought all 35 elephants at the Ringling Center and plans to bring 30 of them, some are too old to move, to their new habitat next year. The elephants will live out their lives with the freedom to move where they want, socialize how they want, eat when they want, and do what they want. For years, TC Energy has been attempting to build the Keystone XL pipeline, but so far environmentalists and other opponents have stymied the project. However, TC Energy has invested in a new project, the Coastal Gas Link Pipeline. It would pump fracked gas over 420 miles from northern Canada to its coast for export to Asia. The pipeline would cross the territory of the Wet'suwet'en Nation without the consent of its hereditary chiefs. The pipeline threatens Wet'suwet'en land, water, air, and people. In June 2000, KKR and Company Incorporated, a New York City private equity firm known for placing profits over people and the environment, purchased 65% of the Coastal Gas Link Pipeline with another company, AIMCO, giving TC Energy the $600 million it needed to finance the project and becoming the new majority owner. Despite the fact that the deal has been closed, opponents of the pipeline are calling for KKR to divest from it. Resistance to the pipeline has been fierce. Several rail blockades have taken place in solidarity with the Wet'suwet'en hereditary chiefs. Opponents argue that the project lacks the free, prior, and informed consent of the Wet'suwet'en and that it also doesn't meet the company's environmental, social, and governance criteria for investment. The nation's most comprehensive ban on plastic items and paper bags is close to becoming law in New Jersey. In an effort to rein in the plastic pollution that has clogged the state's beaches, riverfronts, and water supplies, the state legislature recently passed a bill that will establish several limits on common products. The governor has to approve the bill and is expected to do so. The bill has three major parts. One, it bans bags, like those found at grocery stores, made of plastic film, regardless of its thickness. It also bans paper bags at supermarkets of over 2,500 square feet to persuade shoppers to bring their own reusable bags. Two, it bans so-called clamshell food containers and other items made of polystyrene, better known by its brand name, Styrofoam. Last, it makes plastic straws available at restaurants only upon request instead of banning them, as advocates for the disabled have long promoted. Sir David Attenborough was 28 years old when he convinced his bosses at the BBC to let him travel the world and document his explorations. He has been on the road ever since. For nearly 70 years, the knighted Britain and his teams of filmmakers have traveled to some of the most remote places on Earth to explore the natural world. Quote, I want people to know, not the human story particularly, but the story of life on this earth, how it developed, end quote, Attenborough told 60 Minutes. Now 94, Attenborough has witnessed the evolution of the natural world more closely than most. Attenborough studied geology and zoology 
before embarking on a career in television and film. Ever since, he has been an animal advocate and conservationist and serves as an ambassador for the World Wildlife Fund. Until recently, Attenborough's films shied away from making sweeping declarations about the planet's changing climate. That stance has changed. Attenborough's latest project includes a book and film both titled A Life on Our Planet. He calls this latest project his witness statement and on 60 Minutes told correspondent Anderson Cooper, quote, a crime has been committed against the planet. We're both in broadcasting, and if you're going to be telling something as though it's true, you better be sure it's true, end quote. Attenborough said to Cooper, quote, so I didn't say anything much about the world being in ecological peril until I was absolutely sure that what I was talking about was correct, end quote. Attenborough no longer minces words or leaves his viewers wondering where he stands on the issue of climate change. In the new film, he laments Earth's decline and states emphatically, quote, our planet is headed for disaster, end quote. Despite his stark warning about the planet's peril, Attenborough told Cooper it is not too late to salvage it if countries will work together and societies alter their behavior. The nonagenarian remains hopeful for the future. There's a huge movement around the world of people from all nations, young people who can see what is happening in the world and demanding that their government should take action, Attenborough said. Quote, and that's the best hope that I have, end quote. Reuters reports that General Electric plans to stop building coal-fired power plants as the U.S. industrial conglomerate focuses more on renewable sources of power generation. The company said the exit from the business could include divestitures, site closings, and job cuts while it works with its customers to complete existing obligations. GE has said in the past it would focus less on fossil fuels and more on renewable energy, reflecting a growing acceptance of clean power sources by utilities. Quote, GE's exit from building new coal-fired power, after decades as a leader in this space, is an acknowledgment that growth in the energy sector will no longer be in coal, end quote, said Kathy Hippel, a financial analyst at the Institute for Energy Economics and Financial Analysis. And now for our feature today, we will hear WFHB reporter Katrine Bruner talk about a federal lawsuit against Indianapolis Power and Light Company. This is part one of a two-part story. Now it's time to settle in for your feature reports. Last Monday, federal officials filed a lawsuit against Indianapolis Power and Light, claiming that the company has been violating the Clean Air Act repeatedly. According to the Indy Star, the coal-fired power plant agreed to reduce its emissions, quote, on behalf of the state of Indiana and its environmental management agency, end quote. We turn to WFHB correspondent Katrine Bruner for part one of her series. Hours after the lawsuit was filed, IPL announced their compliance with EPA's allegations and said that they would reduce their emissions at the Petersburg plant. Following this, EPA announced that Morgan County's air quality is officially within federal standards. 
The lawsuit has sparked interest on how the switch from coal to natural gas will have a significant effect on the air quality and the health of the surrounding community in Indianapolis. Coal-fired power plants such as IPL have been contributing to a nationwide issue of air pollution. In the past decade, coal has been the fastest-growing energy source in the world. According to ncoal.org, between the years 2001 and 2010, the world consumption of coal increased by 45%. Kerwin Olson of Citizens Action Coalition and Janet McCabe of IU's Environmental Resilience Institute spoke out about the murkiness of government regulation for power plants and how that can affect not only the state but the country in terms of pollution and human health and enforcement for these companies. It's absurd that a corporation could be allowed to violate uh, their permit uh, that frequently, that often, uh, and really face, uh, you know, no consequences as a result. It's a sad, sad state of affairs for the regulatory regime, not only in Indiana, but also in the country as a whole. And those situations can lead to a lot of extra pollution that might have been prevented if the source had gone through a permitting process. Filed by the U.S. District Court for the Southern District of Indiana, the complaint stated that IPL, quote, failed to obtain the necessary permits and install the controls necessary to reduce emissions that damage human health and the environment, end quote. Details of the complaint made for violating the Clean Air Act include evidence of notices of violations that the EPA made to IPL in September of 2009, September 2015, and February of 2016. The utility released comments to IndyStar, stating, quote, While IPL believes the actions at issue were taken in full compliance with the Act and applicable permits, it entered into the settlement agreement to resolve EPA's claims and avoid uncertainties associated with litigation, end quote. On December 9th of last year, the Indianapolis Power and Light Company announced that they would be shutting down two of their biggest units at the Petersburg Superpolluter coal plant by the year 2023. The EPA recognized these plans and has explained that if IPL retires the two units before July 1st of 2030, then it will not need to install a new pollution control device mentioned in the consent decree. The settlement made Monday is subject to a 30-day public comment period on the department's website and will still need final approval by the court. Executive Director of Citizens Action Coalition, Kerwin Olson, spoke on behalf of the organization and explained how the lawsuit affects not only the companies and organizations involved, but also the state and health of Hoosiers and the environment. A permit, it only matters if somebody's checking, you Mm -hmm. know, and frequently with air permit violations, those violations are, you know, initially noticed because of the opacity of smoke coming out of a smokestack. You know, the oversight is is pretty lax, if you will. Not enough uh, air monitors set up, uh, not enough inspections. And uh, for the most part, our regulatory regime in Indiana is uh, a self-regulated regime, if you will. It's, it's sort of a trust with very little verify. Olson explained to me the reason why coal is not the most efficient and even cheapest source of energy now, with the future looking more green than ever. There's uh, the carbon emissions, uh, methane emissions, and the impact on climate change. Indiana certainly has played a large role in exacerbating climate change over the years with our reliance on coal. 
that doesn't include the uh, socks and knocks and other toxic air emissions being emitted that cause uh, significant problems uh, with asthma, breathing difficulties. There's other toxic metals that are emitted into the water that pollute our waterway. According to Greenpeace, coal is the single largest contributor to climate change, with one-third of all global carbon dioxide emissions coming directly from burning coal. Power plants that burn coal have been contributing to the air and water pollution for decades, which leads to many negative health effects for humans. Coal-fired power plants are dirty, antiquated, and there's better ways to generate energy that first and foremost are cheaper for customers, uh, better for our health, and better for our environment. The coal is the worst of the worst, if you will, and it's Mm -hmm. time to get rid of it. In the early 1900s, oil and natural gas became competitors with coal, being cleaner and easier to transport and store. By the mid-1900s, oil and gas began being widely used in space heating, electric power generation, and transportation fuels. Alternatives to coal-powered energy include solar and wind power, the two most popular renewable energy sources to date. Fortunately, Indiana has been on the move to pivoting away from coal recently, Olson said. In June of this year, Vectron Energy announced their plans to switch to renewable energy for power generation, and only being 20% coal-based in just a few years. The company provides electricity for roughly 145,000 Hoosiers in southwestern Indiana. Nipsco Energy also recently announced their plan to be 100% coal-free by 2028. Olson explained that the transition from coal energy to cleaner fossil fuels is largely one due to economics and a higher demand rising for renewable energy. In terms of the lawsuit, he said it seems that this is pulling IPL away from coal more than EPA's demands. So we're seeing coal plants retire early across the state of Indiana, largely because they're no longer the least cost resource to serve customers. And so what's going to have implications for IPL is the fact that you know, we're in the midst of an energy transition largely driven by economics. Coal is now uh, you know, one of the most expensive options, and, and we're rightly uh, phasing it out. And so it's really the, the, the marketplace economics uh, that's driving these coal plant closures above all else. For WFHB, I'm Katrine Bruner. Thanks for listening. For Eco Report, I'm Sarah Callanan. And I'm Patrick Callanan. Support for Eco Report comes from Blooming Foods Market and Deli, Bloomington's locally grown co op grocery since 1976, offering products with a focus on local, fair trade, natural, and organic with support for farmers, producers, agencies, and artisans. Blooming Foods Market and Deli on East 3rd Street near College Mall, West 6th Street near the Courthouse Square, and Shreve Hall on the Ivy Tech campus. Are you looking for a way to make a difference on environmental issues? Here at EcoReport, we are currently looking for reporters and segment producers. Our goal is to report facts on how we're all affected by global climate disruption and the ongoing assaults on our air, land, and water. We also celebrate ecologists, tree huggers, soil builders, and an assortment of champions who actively protect and restore our natural world, particularly those who are active in South Central Indiana. All levels of experience and all ages are welcome, and we provide the training you'll need. WFHB also offers internships. To volunteer for Eco Report, give us a call at 
323-1200 or email us at earth at wfhb.org. And now for our events calendar. The Bedford Hiking Club is sponsoring a Volkswalk, which is German for People's Walk, in French Lick on Saturday, October 3rd. Registration for the walk is in the RV lot across from the historic Scenic Railroad Depot on Monon Street from 9 a.m. to 1 p.m. Walkers must complete the walk by 3 p.m. Masks are required during registration. Contact Tina Ligman at 812-278-0139 or tdligman at att.net for more information. Lake Monroe has an active wildlife management program, but it exists largely behind the scenes. On Saturday, October 3rd, a hands-on Habitat Day will offer visitors a chance to directly participate in and learn about this hidden side of the lake. From noon to 1 p.m., stop by the new Pollinator Garden at the Paintown State Recreation Area to learn why native plants are valuable pollinators. Want to work on your flora identification skills? Practice with a naturalist on Tuesday, October 6th, beginning at 9.30 a.m. at Allens Creek State Recreation Area at the end of Allens Creek Road. Register by October 4th at bit.ly slash f-l-o-r-a-f-i-e-l-d-o-c-t 2020. For more information, contact Jill Vance at 812-837-9967 or jvance at dnr.in.gov. Join David Rupp of Indigo Birding Nature Tours from 9 to 11 a.m. on Wednesday, October 7th at Griffey Lake for the monthly Sassafras Audubon Society Bird Walk. Meet at the Nature Preserve parking lot at 3595 North Headley Road at 9 a.m. Pre-register by contacting Rupp at david at indigobirding.com or call 812-579-8978. Face masks are required. The League of Women Voters of Bloomington, Monroe County, together with the South Central Indiana chapter of the Citizens Climate Lobby, will hold a nonpartisan virtual forum on climate change from 6.30 to 8 p.m. on Thursday, October 8th via Zoom. Free and open to the public, the forum will present three specialists on the subject who will answer questions about climate change and what you can do to help implement solutions to it. Please pre-register at www.lwv-bmc.org slash climate. And that wraps up our show for this week. Eco Report is brought to you in part by MPI Solar, a Bloomington business specializing in solar hot water, solar electricity, and solar hot air systems. MPI Solar designs and installs solar power generation systems that encourage independence and individual responsibility. Found locally at 812-334-4003 and on the web at mpisolarenergy.com. This week's headlines were written by Norm Holy and Linda Green. 
Today's feature was produced by WFHB reporter Katrine Bruner. David Lyman wrote the script, and Linda Green and Patrick Callanan edited it. Juliana Daly compiled the events. Patrick Callanan produced and engineered today's show. For WFHB, I'm Patrick Callanan. And I'm Sarah Callanan. And this is Eco Report. You've been listening to the Eco Report, a volunteer powered production of Community Radio WFHB in Bloomington, Indiana. Available for download and podcast at news.wfhb.org. Eco Report is your independent, ecologically inspired news source for South Central Indiana, bringing you news that the earth wants you to hear. Send your comments, suggestions, and story ideas directly to the Eco Report staff. The email address is earth at wfhb.org. That's earth at wfhb.org.